0: everyone. Welcome to today's midweek message from All Saints Church. My name's Tom, one of the curates at All Saints. And in these Tuesday sermons, we're trying to dig a bit deeper into the scriptures as we see what resources God's word has to give to us in this very strange time of life that we're all experiencing. Because it, it feels very much, doesn't it, like we're in the middle of a war, Uh, That was said the first time I heard it, one of the doctors in Lombardy in Italy, where the virus has far exceeded the capacity of the health system to deal with it, saying to camera on a BBC News article that it feels like he's in a war zone. It's not what we expected here in Europe. Uh, And that wartime message has really kind of sunk into our mentality, hasn't it? Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock seem quite often to say that we need to have a wartime mentality. And that's what it feels like as the whole country comes together. Your country needs you. Uh, And here we are working together, each one of us trying to do our bit, to play our part, to help as collectively we fight this virus. Uh, It's a strange kind of war because, uh, thankfully, we're not fighting against human opponents. This isn't person versus person, but rather as humanity around around the globe, we're all working together to fight this virus and to try and stamp it out. And I think that's why the message of Easter is going to be particularly appropriate, particularly helpful for us as we reflect on how to live in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. Because at Easter, we celebrate the victory in the greater war of which coronavirus is only a skirmish. And coronavirus is actually a helpful reminder to all of us, if we're Christians, that we should always be living with a wartime mentality. Since the Garden of Eden, the whole of the human race has been engulfed in this huge war against the forces of evil, which seek to steal and kill and destroy, to ruin our lives, to wreck people's lives, both now on Earth and for eternity, to separate us from God. And all too often it feels like the human race we've been losing. Um, we haven't been doing too well in that war against the forces of evil. Uh, And yet we know the great hope of the Christian is that at the end of time, Jesus will return. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new creation, there will be no more sickness, no more dying, no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain. There is no room for coronavirus in the kingdom of God. And one day Jesus will come and make this world as it should be. And there'll be no more virus, there'll be no more isolation, there'll be no more anxiety. That is the hope that we have in what is to come. And at Easter, As Christians, we celebrate that Jesus, by his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday 2000 years ago, has triumphed, has won the victory over the sin and the world and the devil, has defeated and vanquished the forces of evil so that his final victory when he comes to judge the living and the dead is assured. Jesus right now, because of his resurrection, is ruling the world from heaven. He is in control of all things, and coronavirus doesn't phase him. The economic worries that we've got do not phase him. Jesus is in control because of the victory that he won by his death and resurrection. And what we're wanting to do today is to dive a bit deeper into what the book of Ephesians has to tell us about the significance of Jesus' resurrection for your life and mine in the weeks and months ahead. And what we're doing is trying to train our minds, really, to to latch on to what is true reality so that um, as we face coronavirus and the crisis that our nation is facing, we're able to do so without losing perspective with the mental resources that we need to do so well, knowing the big picture and really taking it to heart. So would you open up your Bibles to Ephesians? And I'm going to read a few verses in chapter four. They may be familiar to you. They're words that we often read at All Saints, but the first half, particularly of the passage I'm about to read, I'd never really understood until uh, the last few weeks. And that's what I'd love to share with you today. Um, So we're going to read together Ephesians chapter four, verses seven to 13. And then we're going to ask what these verses have to tell us about God and what these verses have to tell us about us and how that can help us in the times that we're living in. So, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And we often talk in church about the gifts that Christ has given to us, about the gifts of the apostles, teachers, evangelists, prophets and pastors to help us all to grow in our faith. But I think we rarely talk about them in the context of Easter, which is how Paul is intending them here in Ephesians 4. And to understand these verses right, we've really got to understand this strange Old Testament quote. That's in the first half of our passage. I hope you're you're looking at it in Ephesians 4 and verse 8. Paul quotes Psalm 68 saying, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? What's Paul talking about? I've read this passage so many times and I've very, very rarely seen what, con- um, what connection there is between these words from Psalm 68 and the gifts, the grace that we're told each one of us has been given in verse seven. So we know that each one of us as Christians, we've received God's spirit. We've received his grace. We've received so many gifts and good things from God. Where does Psalm 68 fit in? Well, to understand that, we need to turn to the psalm itself. So can I encourage you to flick back in your Bibles to Psalm 68 and let's have a look at the words that Paul is quoting so that we can understand what he wants us to see about the gifts that God has given us. Psalm 68. And let's read the first two verses together. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him, may you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. And so straight away we see that Psalm 68 is a battle psalm, it is the story of a conquest and it starts may God arise, may his enemies be scattered and so Psalm 68 actually pictures a cosmic battle between God and his spiritual opponents. Uh, The next few verses of the psalm are talking about how powerful God is. And then in verse 15 of Psalm 68, read it with me. We see the climax of this spiritual battle described in the psalm. Psalm 68 and from verse 15. Mount Bashan, majestic mountain, Mount Bashan, rugged mountain. Why gaze in envy, you rugged mountain, at the mountain where God chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? The chariots of God are ten thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended from on high, and here we have the verses that Paul quotes in Ephesians. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. What's happening in this psalm? Well, to understand it, we've got to understand something about Mount Bashan, because if you look at verses 15 to 18, you can see that the battle where God is defeating his enemies is depicted as God coming with thousands upon thousands of chariots from Mount Sinai, the mountain where God dwells in Genesis and Exodus, the mountain where God gave the law to Moses. And God is advancing with his army of thousands of chariots, the heavenly hosts, from Mount Sinai in the south. And he's advancing to the north to Mount Bashan and Mount Bashan, it says, is gazing in envy at God's mountain. It's opposing God. And basically in Psalm 68, we have God coming with his armies and conquering Mount Bashan. Where's Mount Bashan? What's Mount Bashan got to do with anything? Well, Bashan is in the north of Israel and throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments, Bashan is associated with the demonic forces of evil. So in Bashan, at the foot of Mount Bashan, there was this cave and the cave, nobody could get to the bottom of it. The ancient world believed that this cave was the gate of hell, was the entryway to the underworld. Um, You may know in the Gospels, when Jesus takes the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, that Caesarea Philippi um, was a place in the New Testament that the ancient world believed was the gates of hell, the place where the underworld could be entered. Well, Caesarea Philippi in the New Testament is the same place as Bashan in the Old Testament, same place, just different name as times had changed. And so throughout the Old Testament, Bashan is known as the gates of hell, the place of demonic activity. Um, It's where the false king, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, sets up his golden calf idol to worship a false idol rather than God in the Old Testament. And so throughout the Old Testament, then the false idols of Jeroboam are worshipped at Bethel and at Bashan. Uh, In Psalm 22, when you have the forces of evil mocking God's king, David, in the Old Testament and then talking about the cross in the New Testament, it said that bulls of Bashan are mocking God's king. What's that mean? It's talking about spiritual forces of evil because Bashan is the home of demonic activity. And so with that context, Bashan, the place where idols were set up to be worshipped, Bashan, the place where the underworld could be entered, Bashan, the place where Prince Baal, the prince of demons, has his throne in Ugaritic literature. What's happening in Psalm 68 is that God is overthrowing the forces of evil once and for all. God is coming with his heavenly armies and he's conquering the home of the devil. He's destroying the spiritual forces of evil and he's reigning over them in triumph. And it says in verse 18 words that Paul quotes in Ephesians, that God ascends on high to the top of Mount Bashan and he takes captive the forces of evil, because that's who's dwell there, that he receives gifts from them because he's conquered them, even from the rebellious, from these spirits, these demons that have been opposing God. Psalm 68, a battle psalm, talking about God destroying the forces of evil once and for all. So now we turn back to Ephesians and we say, how does that help us to understand what Paul is saying here? Well, in Ephesians, it's not God the Father that Paul seems to be talking about. He's describing Jesus in these words, isn't he? And so he says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says when Christ ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So he's picturing Christ ascending on high after his resurrection from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the father, having ascended and destroyed the forces of evil. It says here he's taken many captives. And the context in Psalm 68 is that's the forces of evil. And the result is that because Jesus has defeated the forces of evil in his resurrection and ascension, he gives gifts to his people. That's what Paul's explaining in verse nine. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. He's saying that Jesus, who ascended higher than all the heavens at his ascension, who is reigning over the universe even now, then descended after his ascension to give gifts to his people and he's referring to what in the church we often call pentecost the pouring out of the holy spirit uh, we know that because the he's talking about descending after ascending on high and pentecost comes after the ascension and psalm 68 is often associated by the jews with pentecost with the giving of the law at sinai so summing up the message of ephesians 4 7 to 10 if i've lost you in all of that welter of detail the message is this on the cross And in his resurrection and ascension, Jesus Christ has defeated and destroyed the spiritual forces of evil. He has taken them captive. He has triumphed over the devil. And the result of his victory is that he gives gifts of the spirit to us, his church, his people. We gain the fruit of his victory. It's what Paul says elsewhere in Colossians 2.15, that Jesus disarms the powers and authorities of this world, that he makes a spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. That is what Jesus achieved at his resurrection. We gain the benefit of his victory because on the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus defeated the forces of evil and he has empowered the church. Just as he has won a spiritual victory, so he gives gifts of the spirit to us. And as we'll see in the next few verses of Ephesians 4, he gives these gifts to us, his people, the gifts, the fruit of his resurrection victory for a very specific purpose. So read on with me from verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Why? Why? to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does this passage say about us? What difference does Jesus' resurrection make for us? Well, the gifts that Jesus has won for us uh, by the fruit of his victory over the forces of evil. He gives so that you and I might grow up in him, might be united with Christ, might attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, might become mature, like might grow up into him who is our head. Jesus Christ gives us his Holy Spirit and he gives gifts to his church so that we might know him, be united with him, be so closely bound up with Jesus that nothing can separate us, might become like him so that we look like Jesus Christ, so that we model his character, so we take on his likeness, so that we enjoy intimacy and union with him every day of our lives. Verse 16 sums it up beautifully. From Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so the gifts that Jesus gives to his church are people in Ephesians 4. Just as God has given given to the church Jesus as its king, he's given us Jesus to rule over the church. So Jesus, as our king, then gives to us the gift of each other. He gives apostles, he gives prophets, he gives teachers, he gives pastors, he gives evangelists. He gives us people who will help us to build each other up. He gives us people who will help us to grow in our faith. He gives us each other so that we can become more like him and be united more closely with Christ, bound up to him just as a body is attached to its head. That is the fruit of Jesus' resurrection for you and for me. And the result is that we get to play our part in Jesus' rule over all things did you see in Ephesians 4 verse 10 how it says that Jesus ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe? That's the end goal. That's what what will happen when Jesus recreates the heavens and the earth. He will fill everything. He will be in all and through all and for all. Nothing is outside his rule and reign. Jesus is in control of all things, and he's going to fill the whole universe. Every country, every blade of grass, every star, every atom will be brought inside his rule at the end of time. Uh, It's already been said in Ephesians slightly differently. In Ephesians chapter one, it says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And what that's saying is that God's given us gifts, the gift of each other to build ourselves up in Christ, because as we get closer to him, as we are built up to join in unity with Christ and to reflect his character, We play our part in Jesus Christ fulfilling the whole universe, his redemption of the whole cosmos. He's ruling everything for our benefit. And as we live life in him, as we are joined with him, as we follow him, he uses us to extend his rule and reign wherever we go. Because Jesus Christ has conquered sin and the world and the devil in his resurrection. He's won the victory. He is ruling the world from heaven even now. And when we see that, and when we receive the gifts that he's given us, one in his victory over the forces of evil, the gift of his Holy Spirit, the gift of each other to build us up in Christ. We gain the fruit, all of the benefits of what Jesus has done by triumphing over death. So what does it mean for us very practically today, tomorrow? What difference does that make in my life right now? Well, well, perhaps the first thing is that I have no need to be anxious. Uh, And there are lots of reasons when we look to the world that might make us anxious at the moment. It might be worries for our health, worries for our loved ones, financial worries. There is a huge amount in the world to be worried about. But when we look up, when our gaze lifts from our own problems and we see Jesus, the King of glory, risen and ascended from the dead, triumphing over every force of evil in the world, ruling forever, ruling all things for our benefit, when we only see and grasp who he is and what he has done for us, I don't need to be afraid anymore. There may be a huge storm around me, but my king is greater than the storm. He has all power and all authority, for he has triumphed. He's conquered Mount Bashan, and the enemy has nothing which can defeat our king. I do not need to be anxious." And so what can we do? How do we live out the truth of what we've seen that Jesus has done for us? Well, church of God, rise up. Church of God, lift up your eyes to see him who has conquered the grave for you. Church of God, lift up your voices and praise him. Praise him this week, for he has conquered death. Lift up your eyes to see him ruling over the world. As we read the scriptures and as we worship and pray, lift up your voices to exalt his name, because he has won the name that is above every name. And he is not worried by any virus. Let's keep our perspective sharp this week. Let's keep ourselves tuned to reality as it truly is. Not let ourselves get cast down and our gaze drawn inwards to look at ourselves. That will lead us to despair. Let's see our king who has conquered the grave. And as we do that, we will be led to action. Because we're told here that we are his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And Christ who is ruling the world wants to use you, even you, even today, even right now, to help bring all things under his rule and reign, to help build his kingdom here on earth, to help build his body up by encouraging other people, by pointing them to the truths of the gospel, by helping others to come and discover the love and lordship of Jesus for themselves. Now, we might not be able to do that physically for many of us. If you can leave the house, then go and help and serve your community. But all of us can do that even now as simply as picking up the phone and calling someone and encouraging them with the truth of what Jesus has done, sharing with them the good news that Jesus Christ has conquered the forces of evil for us, triumphing over them on the cross by ringing people up and offering to pray for them. Because when we pray, we pray to the King of the universe ascended on high And he has all power and all authority. Nothing stands in his way. Church of God, this Easter, this April, in a time when our world is clouded by fear and anxiety, would we lift our gaze to see our king? Would we lift our voices to praise our king? And would we reach out our hands to build each other up in unity with Christ, in the likeness of Christ as we try and extend his rule and reign? because by his resurrection, Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. Happy Easter.